opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Inspirational women are increasingly popular in the news and media, but many go unheard and their stories are never told. Women to Watch with Susan Rocco captures the stories of many women who truly make a difference. Women to Watch is the vehicle for developing new leaders, encouraging younger generations, and in building self-esteem for future entrepreneurs. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm thrilled to be back in the studio this afternoon uh, with a very special guest who will be joining us in just a moment. If you are listening and you'd like to call into the show, <clears throat> excuse me, you can do so by dialing 888 329 3306. That's 888. 888- 329-3306. And um, also, if you're looking for information about some of our upcoming shows or perhaps uh, have missed one of our live shows, you can find all information at our website at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. Uh, so I'd like to get started uh, with my guest and, uh, and bring her on to the show. Her name is Joni Fetters. Joni is the president at Alaron, which is a nonprofit that helps private business owners uh, achieve greater success. Joni, welcome to the show. We, you know what? Uh, we just we just lost Joni for a second, so um, I, I think she's dialing back in. We're going to connect her in just a moment. Um, again, my guest today is Joni Fetters, who is the president of Aileron, and that is a nonprofit that helps private business owners achieve greater success. Joni, are you there? I'm here, Susan. Oh, good. <laughs> we lost you for a yes. second. I'm glad you're back. Yes, great. Good. You can hear me okay? I can hear you perfectly. Terrific. Well, thank you so much for joining me this afternoon. My uh, my guess is you're calling from your offices in Ohio? Yes, I am. Okay. Is that Cleveland? Uh, actually, we're down in the southern part in Cincinnati and the Dayton area. Okay. Which is where I understand you grew up. Perhaps not the same town, but um, you grew up in Ohio. Is that correct? Yeah, I grew up in Cleveland, so that must be why Cleveland's on your mind. Okay. Yeah, I grew up in Cleveland. Went to school down at Miami in the southern part and stayed down here. Okay. But all, all born, raised, and still living here. Yeah. Well, listen, I'd love for you to talk just for a few minutes about your, your background and your upbringing in Ohio. And from what I understand, um, you know, it was the Midwest, and um, it was, uh, as you described it, an economically challenged area at the time. And um, you were the oldest of three children. Is that right? Yep, I sure was. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's been interesting. It's always fun to say you're from Ohio because, of course, we grew up here. We don't know anything different. And and there's quite a few people who go, where's Ohio? It's one of those states they have no idea where it is, Um, (laughs) especially maybe on one of the other coasts. You don't realize Ohio's in the middle. Right. but Cleveland, yeah, if, if you come from Cleveland, you're used to a lot of uh, jokes. You know, it's the place where the river caught on fire or you can't swim in the lake or um, the Cleveland Browns aren't the greatest. Um, <laughs> and it certainly went through its uh, struggles um, economically. 
you know, I was from Illyria, Lorraine, which was a steel town that, you know, went by the wayside and, um, you know, really struggled as far as having a business foundation in its smaller communities on the outskirts. So, uh, you know, there was a huge loss of jobs and, and so certainly then the rest of the community kind of suffers and builds through it. So it was just a really interesting place. But if you also grew up there, you just, you love it. I'm a diehard Cleveland Browns fan, Indians fan, um, Cavalier, LeBron James fan, uh, even though, um, and, and Cleveland has got so many great things about it. Uh, so it, I think it was just recently the Los Angeles Times just did a big article on Cleveland to say what a cool city it's becoming. Um, and I, I think it's already, always been, but um, yes, it was an interesting, interesting town. Yeah. Were you aware of kind of the, you know, um, the the economics that were going on around you as a young girl? Or would you were you just caught up in your, you know, typical day-to-day um, activities? So I don't know if I would have known differently. I mean, the high school that I went to had, um, well, we didn't have stalls on our bathroom doors because of the drug problem. We had assigned seats at lunch because uh, they wanted to see if people were there or not. Um, you know, I think like many high schools, we had smoking uh, alley, but it was definitely a rougher environment. And I, I don't even know if I knew any different uh, until I ended up going to Miami, which is a state school, but had a little bit different profile. And it was a quite a culture shock to go from that environment to um, college and realize that there was like different ways to live. Yeah, (laughs) you know, that's so interesting. That was one of my questions for you, you know, looking at your upbringing there in the Midwest and then going to college at the University of Miami. I wondered what that adjustment was like and and what you thought when you got there. Yeah, and and actually I went to the Miami that's in Ohio, um, but it's down in the South and it's considered kind of more of the... um, Ivy League school, the public Ivy League school of the Midwest, and it was quite a shock. Um, I, I think I showed up, and this is no disregard to that, but, we, you know, we went to school in blue jeans and t-shirts, and I showed up at a place that people wore um, knee socks and plaid shorts to a football game, so it was like <laughs> just a different, you yeah. know, just different, and a little bit more Southern, even though I was only four or five hours away from the northern part of Ohio. Um, yeah, it was just different. Yeah, well, um, my apologies. I thought, I for some reason, I thought it was the University of Miami, and that certainly would have been a lot different than Ohio. Yeah, and you know what? Everybody um, makes that a comment as well. So, But there's two Miamis. Yeah. So listen, you know, it's always interesting to me when um, I speak to someone and they happen to be the oldest child in the family, and sometimes there's a a link there between, you know, leadership and kind of uh, being a person who, who is a leader and takes charge. And uh, I understand uh, mom and dad were divorced and you grew up with your mom and two sisters. So it was a house full of girls. Uh, yeah, and you, full and, of women. Yeah, full of <laughs> women. So tell me what that experience, uh, how that helped to shape the leader and particularly the female leader that you are today. Did you take on that role as a young girl? I think we did, and it was interesting because my mom was divorced at a time when many women were more staying at home, and she was a working mom, 
and she would um, leave us in charge. Uh, you know, so I was in charge of my sisters, and I'm not sure I should have been, but I was at a pretty early age. <laughs> yeah. Um, she involved us in, you know, we had to fix things all the time because you didn't have the money to get them hired. So I remember we'd go a few days without heat or we'd have to fix our own bicycles or we'd, you know, paint the house or we would, um, and I, I wouldn't say we did a professional job. We would use, I remember using a uh, tickle ball from the deodorant to fix the bathtub uh, stop so we could have bath water. Oh my gosh. Um, so you, wow. So I do think it was like one of those awesome experiences that you maybe was really hard because I remember sitting on the driveway crying because I couldn't figure out how to get my bike to work. Um, but you also learned kind of perseverance and you stuck with it and mm. then you got confidence as you'd eventually figure it out. That's right. So I do think it had a big impact on us learning to become independent very uh my sisters and I are all very pretty independent. And, um, I mean, we have wonderful husbands and families and count on each other, but we're also not afraid to, you know, take off and do things. My mom thought nothing of, she had not a lot of money, but she loved to travel, so she'd throw us in a station wagon. We would drive across the country um, and just visit places. <laughs> so, um you know, it was just kind of interesting. So she taught us just not to be afraid to go do things. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's pretty pretty neat. Yeah, well, you know what? That My guess is that that has had a, a, a very large impact on you. Not only that, um, you know, you were, it was a blessing in disguise to have to chip in and help in all those areas because you learned from that, um, but to have a mother who was um, exposing you to things that perhaps you may not have had if, if it was, you know, the traditional mom and dad at home and 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 dad going off to work and mom being there. So um, is it something you reflect on, you know, have you over over your life, or is it just kind of that's the way my life was? Oh, I think I've definitely reflected on it a lot because I think it, it shaped, to your point, um, shaped a lot of the way we thought. And sometimes those rules, were beneficial and sometimes those thoughts in your head were not beneficial. Um, so you have to become conscious, I think, to what you grow up with mm -hmm. and how you learn and then learn to adjust it so that it's, um, you know, being independent is great. Um, getting married and saying we got to have separate checking accounts and I'm going to do my own thing and not... Um, I, I didn't really check in with anybody. I didn't need to ask people's permission. My mom would let us, I didn't have many rules that I grew up with, so I would create my own rules. Um, but that doesn't work in a, a partnership when you're trying to uh, grow a marriage or grow, you know, raise kids together. You have to kind of collaborate. <clears throat> so you have to kind of check those rules or those um, ways you do things and then decide if they're still working for you or not. Um, mm -hmm. So definitely... A lot of reflection because I think some of them were positive and some of them were maybe more out of a need to survive and I didn't need to use those rules anymore. Mm, yeah, no, that's interesting. And and would would you say it also um, helped with your confidence, confidence in all that you did in, in education and the success you've had in business? Yeah, I I would, um, and I would have never called myself confident as an individual because I think I was a pretty socially awkward person. 
Um, and I don't think I succeeded in the way most people did through high school or college or anything, getting great grades or um, being the star of the team or the cheerleading team or anything like that. So I think it was more of a, um, I don't know if I'd call it a quiet confidence, but a confidence around practical things maybe mm. um, that I learned and, uh, you know, grew from that experience. Yeah. How about the, the further you have gone, um, you know, you, you have uh, bought and sold a, a couple of companies, you've been an entrepreneur, um, and now you're leading a company. Would you say that your experiences throughout your career have helped you um, in the confidence beyond what, you, what you've just described as a quiet confidence, which I love that phrase, by the way. <clears throat> I think that sometimes people that don't um, aren't the highest profile or speak out the loudest are sometimes not viewed as confident. But has yours, you, yeah. the, your level changed over time? Yes, it, I think it absolutely has. And it, I think where it, when I was in high school and college, a lot of um, what you find is you're comparing yourself to others to, yes. to validate yes. you're on the right path. Mm -hmm. And as you get in, I, and I honestly didn't really enjoy college. I mean, it was, there were some fun parts to it for sure, but it was not a place that I thought this is awesome. Um, I, I loved when I got to go to work because then when I got to go to work, it was more about finding purpose and um, joy out of that, out of the work. And there you felt like it was kind of like, okay, well, I can figure this out. You know, I'm not, I'm not sure I could figure out the social things of, you know, high school and college or the the way you operated but once you got into work you could figure things out mm. so that's probably where the confidence grew and then each time you tried something you realize that over time you get to be who you are you don't have to be somebody else to be good at what you do mm. yeah and that felt it got more and more true as you especially around small businesses um, you didn't have to fit a mold in order to be successful right um, you yeah. could become more, more who you were supposed to be. Mm, yeah. Um, well, you went on to uh, get an MBA from Xavier. And yep. was business always your focus? Was that always your love? Was there, was there anything else that you had contemplated doing? Yeah. Well, I started uh, thinking it would be really cool to be a park ranger or a garbage man when I was like in fourth or fifth grade. <laughs> okay. Why? Well, perhaps you were very friendly with your neighborhood garbage man. <laughs> oh, I just thought it was cool that you could be outside all day. And, and in, in our neighborhood, garbage men got to ride on the outside of the truck all day. Right. I thought that was really cool. Yeah. Um, then my best friend and I spent one summer literally copying out of a medical dictionary. We spent hours every day. So I thought maybe I'd want to do something in the medical field. I went to college thinking I have no idea, but maybe teaching would be good. I went into sports medicine. And because I wasn't very passionate or really intrigued with either one of those, the default became business. <laughs> so that's how I got it. 
Well, you know, it, that's always a lesson in um, for, for young people. I always feel so bad for kids when they're asked at a young age, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, and they think they have to know uh, and stick with it, but that we do explore a lot of different things before we find our place. And would you say that you're, it, it appears to me from the, the research I've done on you that really um, helping businesses and and being strategic and, and coming up with plans and taking risks, I'll say, um, is something that you enjoy. I absolutely do. And um, it's, it's problem solving. It's like chasing opportunities, uh, making things out of, uh, or taking ideas to fruition. Um, and it is a very independent world. Like you, you get to like create things out of nothing. Um, and when people tell you, no, that can't be done, you get to go ahead and do it anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So yeah, so I think there's a lot, a lot to that. And then the other thing I've found recently is, Aileron um, is a nonprofit that's focused on helping small privately held businesses grow, so that we can get a stronger foundation in our country of these small businesses that provide a lot of jobs. And what I've realized is, I love it because I work with the most fascinating people. But there's a lot of people that are struggling whether it be stress or the family dynamics or um, helping other people grow or not delegating or they've got all these personal things going on at the same time. So at the end of the day, what business allows us to do at Aileron and me personally is actually work with people. Mm. Um, we get to use business methods as a calling card, but really at the end of the day, what we end up getting to do is work with people and help them empower them, help them reach their potential in so many different ways. Is it unique, Joni, for for your company company, excuse me, to be a nonprofit helping other companies that are for profit? Yeah, I think it is in a certain way. Um, and sometimes we remind ourselves and others that we're a nonprofit. Uh, you know, we were generously funded by Clay Mattel who he owned the Imes company. He has a fascinating story where he joined Paul Imes and they were about $500,000 in sales and they were really trying to make a difference in nutrition for, um, for minks originally and then for dogs and cats. And when Clay joined, they realized what a struggle it is to take a business to $5 million. As Clay jokes around, they had a product that dogs wouldn't eat and a package people wouldn't buy. Mm -hmm. um, so they, you know, they had a challenge on their hands. So he realized then over time how many mentors helped them actually make it. And then it's been amazing to watch what they do. They are so generous with their resources. And one of the ways he wanted to give back was to say, how do I support and mentor others along that journey? So that's how we became a nonprofit. Um, and so, but I think what it helps is it allows people to see that establishes a sense of trust right away because we're really not out to sell you anything. I mean, if you want to use our services, great. And if you don't, that's okay too. Um, we don't have to make a profit, so we don't have to sell you something to get there. We just need to make sure you have the resources you need. So I do think it's, it's more on the unique side. I mean, there's certainly economic development engines or other organizations out there too that are doing it but there's probably not a lot of them yeah um 
I, I think that you're my the, the very first person I've interviewed actually that that uh, heads up a nonprofit that is a you know a business consulting firm um, helping for profit businesses. Um, that's why I was wondering if if in the, this field there are many. Uh, tell me about you know the way you just described it. The the culture must be different in your company than in a for profit company. I would imagine. Yeah, I think um, part of the culture is is that it's uh, learning can come from so many different places, and we love to practice the uh, those who do the work do the learning. So how do you help people grow in confidence, almost like you and I were talking before? Uh, how do people get the confidence to run a business, the confidence to work with others or to develop others or to take a product to market? And really, at the end of the day, it's getting them to do the work. And the more they do the work and actually do it, the more they learn and the more they grow. Mm. So um, being a nonprofit, I think, allows that culture to kind of um, come out. And then it's very collaborative from the standpoint that we don't, we're not the inventors of great thoughts um, by any means. So we're not the in, uh, initial invention. What we get to do is take a lot of the really amazing thoughts out in the marketplace and synthesize those down so that a small business can consume, consume them when they need them at the level that they can take them on at that time because they wear so many hats. So I'd say collaborative. And then the other value I think that really comes out is transparency, and that is um, one of my board members, Margie Blanchard. So have you um, read any of Ken Blanchard's books, The One Minute Manager? And he's got, I think, 65, 70 books. I have not, no. Uh, she is an amazing woman, and she was telling me about how it's important to be able to tell the kind truth. And so she said, for many people, it's easy to tell the truth, but they do it bluntly. And there's many people that are kind, but don't tell the truth. But the art is in being able to tell the kind truth. And I feel like that's something we're growing into. So how do you sit across from a business owner and say, um, you know, that's all these issues you're having, perhaps you need to look at yourself before you point the finger at anybody else. Um, and how do you say that in a kind way but a truthful way uh, that helps them actually get to what they need to do? Or how do you sit across from a, another individual that's on your team and say, that really just didn't work well? Um, you know, what was your responsibility in that role or whatever? Uh, so we've been practicing that more and more. I like um, so I think that's part of the too. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like the sound of that. Um... You know, I think it it comes down to sincerity very often, right? Being sincere in your conversations uh, with employees, with colleagues, with clients, and doing that with, yeah. you know, in as you said, in a kind way. I think that's really important. Yeah, and eliminating well, the one concept somebody told me about once was the triangles. So, you know, if I, you and I are having a conversation and I get upset with you and I go tell Jack that, you know, Susan and I aren't, you know, I can't believe she did this or whatever, we, we'd start to create a triangle. So now I go to Jack, and then Jack might say something to you, and you might say something back to Jack, whatever. And the more you become conscious of trials, tri uh, triangles, they're everywhere. Mm -hmm. And it's such an unhealthy 
site or circle of mess around miscommunication, so, right? Yeah, and so we've been really trying when someone will come back to each, you know, come to you and say, you know, this person's frustrating me, whatever. We ask back, would you be okay with going back and giving them that information directly? Mm-hmm. And it takes courage to do that. That's um, right. And I've seen so many more people stepping up to do that in a, a way that's not vindictive or anything like that. But it just creates such a healthier um, atmosphere and a better communication, to your point. Yeah, that's terrific. And efficient, much more efficient, right, than going around and around. Um, mm-hmm. So af- after um, after you you were with IMS, you co-founded a technology service company and, and yep. actually became a client yourself of uh yes i did okay so tell me as a client what what was the number one thing you would say the greatest lesson um as a client of aileron i think it's that practicing professional management which is learning how to become a business owner that works on the business the just the strong disciplines of a business and i'm not talking finance or marketing or delivery. I'm talking about growing yourself as a leader, growing other people as a leader, developing people, watching your business model and your business structure and continually to align those. Asking yourself questions like what are my customers buying today and what are they going to be buying from me in the future? So practicing those types of disciplines is really, really valuable as a business owner. And you don't go into, I didn't anyway, go into owning a business with that thought because you're a startup, you're trying to make sales, you're trying to make cash, you're trying to hire people, you're trying to get customers. So it's more about doing. And so you start to, so after you start to grow, we grew from, you know, two people, my co, my partner and I, to 115 in about five years. And you, you value doing and so there's a point when you're doing that, you have to switch to where your time becomes valued on more of the thinking and planning than it is about the doing and picking up the phone and making a customer connection and that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. And Aileron, I feel like, helped me realize the, the importance of working on the important and non-urgent versus the important and urgent category. Would you say that... That includes just kind of take, stepping back, taking time to uh, plan and, and look at your overall uh, business and, and where, where it's going. Is it often sometimes kind of taking a different course of action? Yes, absolutely. I think it's all of those things. Um, and learning how to make it bigger than yourself. So I can... At the end of the day, I can probably manage 10 people. It, I'd probably be pretty tired, but I could manage 10 people. But if I'm going to go to 20 people, there is no way I can work with 20 people the same I could work with 10. So how do I start putting systems in place that allow us to become scalable rather than actually doing the work? Okay. Tell, can you tell me um, right off the top of your head of what something you would c- consider a, f- a failure? or a mistake um, that you reflect back on, that you think of often, uh, that you learned from? 
Wow. Which one do you want to know about? Um, <laughs> What's the first one that pops into your head? I guess it'd be college. Um, I was pretty lost in college as far as just, uh, I, I'm not sure I, I've still got a college age kid, so, and he knows this. I'm not sure I was a great going to class. Um, you know, as far as doing the work, I had way too much free time with nothing productive coming out of that. Um, so therefore, I graduated with a very low GPA. I didn't engage. I didn't uh, get involved in anything. Um, and so that would, to me, would be considered, I think, a pretty big failure. Either I didn't recognize I shouldn't be in college in the first place, or I didn't, I think, utilize um, I mean, my parents helped me pay for that. So, you know, it was a lot of wasted money. <laughs> I, <think. laughs> I mean, I'm, well, I got my degree, but yeah. it wasn't like, you know. Yeah. Well, do you, I would ask, why do you think that was? Was there, did you feel there was no one holding you accountable? Or was it a lack of um, direction at the time? When you look back and, th you know, why did you not give, give it your your best effort? Why do you think that was? I think, one, I moved too far away from home. On the other hand, it was probably good that I wasn't close to home because um, I probably would have ended right back up in my hometown. Um, I think you went from high school where you're in a very structured environment. You know, you have to be at school at certain times. You run track. You... You know, then you had your homework. Then you had responsibilities at home. So you were your day was pretty well tapped out, and then you go to college and you really don't have any responsibility um, besides maybe a 15-hour job, week of job, um, and you only go to class, and they don't really care if you come to class. Um, so, yeah, you went from a very structured, maybe accountable environment to one that wasn't, mm -hmm. and, and I found not a lot of meaning, I think, in, in studying. It just I couldn't find the relationship between what I was studying and how, what that meant, what how I ever was going to use that information. Yeah, I think that's very common. I think that's yeah, common I in a lot of is. young but people. But I ended up getting like a, I certainly didn't graduate with the rest of my uh, friends. Maybe I was three or four months later. And then I got a job um, out of a newspaper for a customer service clerk, clerk selling uh, plastic bags. Okay. <laughs> like 12 years. <laughs> Listen, you did okay for yourself. Whatever, you know, it's always so, interesting to, you know, reflect back at the things we did when we're young uh, and where we are today and kind of, big, you know, tie those, tie those two things together and, and how they occurred. Um, which is what the show is all about. Listen, Jenny, we're going to take a quick break for our sponsors. And when we come back, I want to talk to you a little bit about the changes um, that have taken place in business today as far as uh, what, how businesses were run 20 years ago. We'll be right back. This is Kristen Hillsley, financial advisor of the Foley Hillsley Group, with a big announcement. Last fall, I hosted a women's lifestyle conference to help the women who do it all take control of their finances. Now I'm excited to announce a new partnership with Women to Watch Media to help show women how to own their financial future. We'll have newsletter articles, blog posts, announcements of live events, and a lot more, all available at womentowatch.net and our own website, Foley Hillsley. 
www.thrivegroup.com. I'm thrilled about this new partnership, and I look forward to being your resource for all things financial. Stay tuned to learn more or visit our website at FullyHillsleyGroup.com. The Foley Hillsley Group is affiliated with Robert W. Baird and Company, member SIPC. Log on to FullyHillsleyGroup.com to learn more. That's F-O-L-E-Y-H-I-L-L-S-L-E-Y Group.com. Or call 610-238-6636. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. Welcome back, everyone. You're listening to another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. My name is Sue Rocco, and I'm joined this afternoon by Joni Fetters. And again, Joni is the president at Aileron, which is a nonprofit organization helping private business owners achieve greater success. Uh, You know, Joni, one of the things I kept coming back to as I was preparing for today's show was just how much things have changed in general um, in business and specifically around technology. Um, We have social media and internet and um, different uh, payment systems and methods. And I wonder if there's, if if you can just talk a a little bit about what you think the greatest differences are um, between today and, you know, even 20 years ago. Um, when you were working in business and what has been a positive change and and what perhaps has become more of a challenge today for small business owners? Yeah, I think um, like in every aspect of our lives, to your point, technology has really changed what's going on. But I would say the majority of what you see is it's just so much more um, of an option for people to have their own their own business, their own direction, um, because you can break out a little bit easier versus the very large corporate um, structures that that probably more dominated. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could probably have more businesses like um, delis or restaurants and things like that 20 years ago as well. But now with technology and the service boom that's really taken off, uh, you don't have to be an inventor of a product now to be able to get into business, or you can be a blogger, or you can be a writer. Um, so there's so much more opportunity for people to have their own voice and to be able to break out on their own if they're interested, or even on the side, or uh, follow a passion like you have, yeah. of um, and create something, you know, out of nothing, but out of an idea and a passion for what you want. So that's really cool to see. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Uh, it also creates, I would say, this um, a sense of urgency, perhaps, and it, there seems to be such an abundance of, um, especially young people, millennials, looking to start their own businesses, and because they have the capability to do that. So when you're in this sea of 
uh, competition. You know, what are some of the things someone who's just starting out should really focus on to kind of get a jump start in their particular field? Yeah, because I, I think you're right. There, that's the negative. The, the con of it is, is there's so much noise in the marketplace. That's and right. So many yes. people, and you're, think about, to your point, that there's a lot of young people that are able to jump from college or a few years out of college to business. It certainly didn't, doesn't take the capital that it used to take to start a business as yes. it did probably ago. Yeah. And then you also have at the other end of the, the spectrum all these incredible baby boomers who aren't ready to retire completely yet. Mm -hmm. um, so they're flooding the marketplace as well with independent thought and individual ideas. Um, so there's just a lot of noise out there. Mm -hmm. um, noise, but it's still like how do people connect with you? Um, and it seems to me like probably one of the greatest skills, and it'll sound so basic, but it's to me it seems about can you really listen and understand what someone's looking for. Um, if you try to be this everything to everybody or the same to everybody, um, you'll get some business, but it'll be around commodity or pricing. Or, um, But if you can really figure out and pay attention to some of the niches or the emerging needs um, and anticipate some of those, I think then you can really stay ahead of have you, have you seen that Steve Harvey show where um, it's kind of like a shark tank, but it's they win money or whatever? Yes, yes. Uh, two, and, two contestants okay, come, last, yeah, vie for the, the funding, I think. So I love watching those shows. That's I do, where too. That's the nerdy I do, too. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, women, there's these women out there, and they're talking about the next kind of car place that when you go there, I, I think it was like you got a hand massage. And, and so you're getting your oil changed and you're getting your hand massage and that kind of stuff. Now, <laughs> whether you like it or not, what they're thinking through is there's a whole segment of people out there that could go to a different experience than the typical oil change place. Um, so they're listening. They're observing. Um, they're finding something that's not a, an unmet need or I'm the first one now to pull up into that spot and call that number and they bring me my groceries. I can't tell you how much I love that. <laughs> um, and uh, so I think it's if you're starting off, try to find, continue to listen and observe and find what needs aren't being met and then really put some pencil and paper to it. Um, do a little bit of planning. Um, you know, I mean, you want to jump and you want to take some risks, but before you put too much capital in it, figure out how you can take that out and see if it would could really, how would you get feedback on the idea? How would you experiment with it before you, it's almost that minimal viable product idea. How could you do it in the lowest cost way to test it and see if it, got, it has some legs to it? Mm. I think that's really smart advice, especially when, you know, we're, we're talking about the noise, um, Twitter alone is <laughs> could be a nightmare. Everyone has opinions and strong opinions and ideas and and you know advice. And I think to listen and also to ask questions is probably the best advice for someone looking to to start something new. Yeah, 
and then you yeah you can use social media it's amazing what you can get out there but it's also you got to be careful on social media that's right <laughs> it's like you do they're your friends and those yeah that's right um, I want to talk a little bit about you as a leader and your leadership style. I read a quote. Um, my guess is it's somebody that, that works in your organization said, Joni's leadership style and energy inspire and motivate the Aileron team as well as the community as we strive to raise the quality of life one business at a time. Uh, I thought that was beautifully said, and I, I wanted to know how you would describe your own leadership style. How is it that you motivate your team? What are the things that you do um, purposefully to to really be successful? Hmm. Um, I think it's just join in and be part of the, the t- team and figure out ways so people – it's hard for anyone to motivate somebody else, but can you tap into the extrinsic or the intrinsic motivation of others? And what I'm surrounded with are people that want to make a difference. Uh, they want to know the why. They want to know that they're working towards things that make a difference for many people, and it's way beyond business. It's making differences in people's lives, like the Raise the Quality of Life in America. Um, so it's probably creating more of an environment that people can feel like they are connecting to that higher purpose. Um, and so that's sharing stories. Um, we just had a, a Generation Dayton event a couple uh, weeks ago, and some of our staff had to stay late, and that's not, not their normal schedule and stuff. And the conversation was around how can we help the people that stayed late, and they did it with a smile on their face, realize that there were like 20 people that came up afterwards and said, wow, that really resonated with me or made a difference. So how do we share those stories? Um, so to me, that's part of it is connecting people to the, the purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other part I think really is sharing the responsibility and um, making an environment that people can make their own decisions and they can lead and I guess, you know, at a better, the easiest word is empowering. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But empower people to be able to take it and create their own ideas and run with them and fail and learn from it and then keep going. Um, so I think those are things that, because I've been afforded those opportunities in the past, I feel like it's kind of some of what's more natural to me, I guess, as far as uh, putting that in play at Aileron. Uh, Joni, you've been um, awarded several um, awards and acknowledgments for your success. One of them was the 40 Under 40 Award. Tell me what that meant to you, that acknowledgment. Does that, you know, getting back to confidence, when you, when someone acknowledges the work that you've done, does that help to boost your confidence? Um, I don't know. I, I guess I've, I mean, it's really nice that they do those kind of things, but I would say I get more satisfaction and confidence from um, doing work and from seeing the results of that work where, um, so we have a lift event coming in a couple of weeks. We had a theory that our businesses 
can learn on their own and in individual strategic planning sessions, but they also really enjoy learning as a community. So could we create an event where they come together and actually work together? And it's sold out a month and a half before we even have it. That's satisfaction from the standpoint that you had an idea and you can see that it mean, meant something to others. So I, I guess not to belittle those types of awards, but it's probably more satisfying is the actual work um, and more of the confidence piece. I don't know how you feel about it, but that's, that's kind of where I guess I've always gone. Plus, it's always awkward to get recognized because you don't feel like you're the only one that got to that certain success. It's usually many people and many things that fall in place for things to be successful. Yeah, that that's true. That's true. Um, you know, we talk obviously on this show often about just women in leadership in general and what's happening um, across the country and around the world is that there's um, a lot of conversations around why it's important that that you know, more women take the lead across all industries. What would you say is one of the, the important reasons that, that we need this? Uh, you know, people will often ask me, why, why is your show about women? And, uh, you know, my answer is just that I feel, you know, historically we have never had women uh, in, in the larger percentage of CEOs and presidents and on board seats, et cetera. Um, and I just think there will be a positive outcome globally when we do. Can you speak to that and why you think that women in particular are, um, you know, bring a lot more to the to the world of, of business and industry and, and politics and everything um, as opposed to the running of the families and, you know, really kind of taking care of the children and, and raising, raising good children? Yeah. Yeah, I love, I love what your thought is behind your focus. Um, and I think it's to bring diversity of thought. So, you know, my husband and I have very diverse opinions, but together they're much stronger uh, than they would be if it was my opinion versus his opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think that there are, by promoting that and trying to engage people to stay with it, there's a diversity of thought that happens. And I've often thought that, you know, for a while they talked about a glass ceiling and and I'm sure there's some of that definitely still out there. But in a lot of cases as women, we take ourselves out of the game um, because of what you're alluding to, whether it be family or um, I want to stay home or I, you know, want to go part-time. And I've done all those. I have, you know, I probably, at the IMS company, I was part-time. I did a job share um, I did four days a week because I was trying to juggle having kids and having a, a pretty intense uh, role in the company, and and I loved it. And I think the the thing would be is to stick with it. There is so much opportunity now to make it work, and it, it, it makes sense 20 years ago. I don't think there was the support systems or even the tolerance for that, um, or maybe 25, 30 years ago, but there is tolerance today. There are so many with the technology that you can call in for things um, or, you know, you can um, get your kids to school and then and do some work. I, I think there's so much more tolerance for us to be able to do both right. and do both well. Right, yes. Um, 
So I think that's why it's important that you keep doing it because we need – I wouldn't want to make a general that all women are like this and all men, and mm-hmm. you, you don't either. No. But there's just a lot of diverse thought that's brought by having um, everyone leading in different ways. Um, some of the companies I've seen where they've kind of skewed towards one or the other, they kind of take on a more of a um, closed-off culture. And those that you see really invite diversity seem to thrive a lot more. Right. And the good news is, you know, we have actually people studying this and and, um, gathering statistics and analytics around it and and proving that, right, that there's companies uh, that have more diverse employees and they are extremely successful. So I think that's that's good to have when we're having these conversations to back up um, the conversations around what's actually happening out there. Mm-hmm. Right. So let me talk a little bit about your family. You, you're the president of an organization and you're a busy, busy lady, but you also happen to be married to your high school sweetheart, which I love. 27 years you've been married and you have three children. Um, I love I love the way you described your dog. He's a small mud who thinks he's a cross between a mastiff and a pit bull. Yep. <laughs> or perhaps it's a she. I'm not sure. Um, oh, it's he and world, yes. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Um, but family is, is, is your priority. And so talk just a few minutes about how you, not how you manage your time, but um, really how you handle the day-to-day, a life of th- that's full. That's a full life, right? And uh, yeah, well, and it's it's messy. I'm certainly not as messy as your guest who was on, I think, a week ago, who had 11 children. Um, so <laughs> I know that was put away by her. I thought that was phenomenal. Um, <laughs> but yeah, my husband and I have been married. Uh, gosh, it's been a long time, and um, you know, again, I've learned a ton from him. And uh, the funny thing is, I think it's 30 years now, and he says three happy ones. So maybe oh. that'll give you an indication. <laughs> How long have you been married? He goes, <laughs> so, uh, But yeah, it requires everybody to pitch in. You know, when you right. have a working family, um, you know, I it's not when everybody goes off to school and work, then you go do the grocery shopping or uh, the house gets clean. Everybody has to pitch in. So there's a different dynamic there. Um, and I think it's healthy for us because I think I could be an over-helpful mother. I think I certainly have been at times. Um, and I have not, I think there's been times I've parented terrible and then hopefully there's some good times in there too. But <laughs> I think by me working, it actually causes me not to be too helpful and steal from my kids' own confidence or their mm. own um their own sense of worth. Mm. Um, and if I stayed at home, I think I would do that personally because I tend to have a little bit of energy and, you know, I want to be helpful. That's interesting because I, you know, they describe that as helicopter parenting. Is that what you're referring yes. to? Yeah. And I would not. Yeah. Have, and, yeah. I wouldn't picture you to be someone and, and perhaps it's because of uh, the way you were raised, which sounds, you know, not that way, right? You were, um, you were not helicopter parented. No, I wasn't at all. I think probably, I'm not even, I don't know if it would be helicopter or not, but it would be almost too helpful. Like, um, I can take care of all this on my own. I don't need, 
you guys to do stuff because I'm capable of doing it myself, so mm -hmm. I don't know if I would ask others to get involved. Um, and then I would do too much. And there's some beauty in everybody doing some of it. Um, so I, maybe that's what I mean a little bit more. So I don't know if it's hel that's helicopter or not. I think some helicopter might be like, I'm certainly not uh, too much of a control or in people's business too much, but I do think I would do way too much and, and take away from someone's opportunity to learn how to fix something or to do the grocery shopping yeah. or whatever it might be. Yeah. Do you have daughters or sons or both? I have both. I have two daughters and a son. And are they, and, um, how old are they? Um, let's see, at 26, 23, and 21. Oh, wow. Okay. So I, I pictured them much younger for some reason. Um, so tell me what, you know, you the daughters in, in particular, um, they're, they're, they're certainly exposed to different things. Uh, different things that that we were and and a lot of it is good there's a lot about empowerment you know uh, women's empowerment out there and do you have those conversations with them messages you know around you can be and do whatever you want in this world yeah I think um I don't know if it's as big as you can do whatever you want but it's find what keep learning about yourself and figure out what that looks like in the next few steps. Um, and if it doesn't work out, then what did you learn about yourself from that perspective? Um, and then how are you going to use that to your, you know, to the next step in your life, whatever that might be? Um, so I, I guess it's in some way saying, yeah, be whatever you want, but it is being independent, like, um, I probably do have a little bend of don't be dependent upon anybody. Um, so how do you figure out how to make things work? Be, be informed about your finances. Um, mm, that's, you know, yep. work with yourself on your own stock. Um, you'll learn by doing something. Um, you know, learn how to, to fix your bike or learn how to take care of your car. Um, so absolutely, like, but but be depend independent on how you do those things, and doesn't mean other people can't help you out. But so I think we have conversations about that. They don't always go the way I they think. I'm, you know, I'm a typical mother. Oh, mom, whatever. No, right. Uh, <laughs> We're always embarrassing so, them. <laughs> yeah, and have too much advice, and you know, take things too far. But um, but that's what you do hope for them. You know. Yeah that they can feel confident that they could walk into a room and have a conversation or understand their own banking or their own, can I afford that house or the car or whatever um, kind of thing. And yeah. I hope the same thing for my son too. That's right. Um, well, that's the flip side of, of you know, the, this women's empowerment movement, if you want to call it, and that the word empowerment is over overused, but I haven't come up with a... Um, a better word, um, that we bring the boys uh, and, and young men into these conversations around why, you know, at the end of the day, we are equally as capable intellectually, perhaps not always, you know, physically. I think there's, you know, certain things that are clearly different between men and women. Um, but I think that the messaging is better today for young men in how uh, they should treat women and how women are, are, are capable. Their abilities are, are really equal. 
And so we, we talk about that a lot on the show as well, bringing men into the conversations around women's leadership, because I don't think we'll ever make progress if it's just women cheering each other on. Yeah. Oh, right? I absolutely agree. I think the other thing with the, the young men is that um, what a cool opportunity that they have to be married or uh, a coworker with uh, other equal partners, regardless um, of the gender, but that you've got strong, you're surrounded by strong people that can do things for themselves too. Um, and it doesn't deter us from what they bring to the party at all. It just means that you can be stronger um, in, in how you work as a family or a, as a team or um, partners or whatever that looks like. Right, exactly. Um, listen, we just have a, a, a minute left. I'd love for you to just leave either a, a famous quote that, that you live by, enjoy, or, or just one last bit of advice for our listeners. Hmm. Well, I'm staring at a quote that's on my chalkboard in my office, so I guess I'll, it's, it's from Maya Angelou, and is people won't remember what you said or did, but they will remember how you made them feel. Um, and I just always love that quote because I think sometimes we get caught up in details and too much formality. Yes. And um, a lot of times it's, it's really simple and it's about how you listen or um, acknowledge somebody that's the important part. Yeah, I have that same quote in my office. It's one of my all-time favorites. Great. She was amazing. Right? Uh, one of the wisest people I think uh, ever came to earth. Yes, I would totally agree. Yeah. So, um, listen, Joni, I appreciate so much your time. I know how busy you are. And if you can uh, give your contact information in case there's someone listening that wants to get in touch with you or your organization. That'd be great. Um, it's Joni.Fetters, F-E-D-D-E-R-S, at aileron.org or www.aileron.org, and it's A-I-L-E-R-O-N.org. Perfect. Thank you so much, Joni. I hope you have a great week. Susan, thanks for having us. Thank you. Really appreciate it. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch here on WWDB Talk 860 and womentowatch.net. Have a great week.